0: This week on the Tech On Tap podcast, we discuss how NetApp's Active IQ uses Iguazio for its big data needs. Well, welcome to the Tech On Tap podcast with Justin Parisi.
1: I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp! I love this company. Sipok. Sipok.
0: I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and we are doing a Tech on Tap podcast about active IQ uh, as well as Aguazio. We had an Aguazio podcast on a couple weeks ago. So um, to do that, I brought in a couple of guests. So first, let's introduce our Aguazio guest, um, Yaron Javiv. Uh Can you tell us who you are, what you do and how to reach you?
2: hi, I'm uh, Yaron. I'm a founder and CTO for Iguazio. Uh, prior to that, I was uh, also at, uh, at Mellanox handling all the data center and storage activities. So worked with NetApp quite a bit before uh, Iguazio and, and serving uh, NetApp needs. And, uh, you know, you can find me in, in LinkedIn and Twitter. I also blog uh, quite a bit.
0: All right. Excellent. Also with us today... Uh Shankar Pasapathy, uh, he is with NetApp. So Shankar, what do you do here at NetApp and how do I reach you?
1: Yeah, hi, everybody. So uh, I'm a, a senior technical director for ActiveIQ and I'm broadly responsible for our data engineering pipelines and strategy and also for how we use AI to derive insights from the data we gather. Uh, so those are the two broad areas. Um, And so, you know, today we're going to talk about Active IQ itself and some changes we've made in the architecture.
0: So when we talked about Iguazio a few weeks ago, we basically just covered Iguazio as a company and what they do and, you know, kind of the technical architecture stuff. We hinted at the fact that they are, or that NetApp is a customer of Iguazio, and now we can disclose what that means. So Shankar is here to talk about how... NetApp uses Iguazio with ActiveIQ. But first, let's talk about what ActiveIQ is, if you're not familiar, as well as the architecture uh, story we've gone from before and now.
1: Yeah, so ActiveIQ is NetApp's uh, telemetry processing system. Right, It drives the customer experience and the support experience for NetApp's customers. Um, so what I mean by this is every single day, all the storage systems that NetApp sells from around the world send telemetry data back into NetApp, and the telemetry consists of three primary things. One is uh, configuration, second is performance counters, and the third is significant events, like, for example, a part failure or a disk failure. So all of this information is constantly streaming back uh, into the NetApp uh, data center, which is where we we process all of this through a platform called the ActiveIQ platform. And then we mine that data for some insights and we provide insights back to the customer one of three ways. Through a web application, just called ActiveIQ, activeIQ.netapp.com. Or there's a mobile application, which is increasingly popular. But the third option is there are public REST APIs. So you can just consume some of those insights through APIs and add them into your own tools. Okay. So that's primarily what Active IQ is a telemetry system for all of NetApp's uh, storage products. Now, we, we process an enormous amount of data. So just to give you a sense for the numbers, we process about 10 trillion data points a month. Okay, so That number is growing very fast. Uh, the second thing is we keep some historical information around in a what we call a hot data lake, and that's roughly about five petabytes of raw data. Uh, in addition, we have to maintain about seven years of telemetry for various reasons. So net net, we have close to about 20 petabytes of of telemetry data lying around. Uh, this this is all, of course, highly secured, and there's you know all, all sorts of policies around it um, to make sure that we don't unintentionally expose any information to you know uh, the wrong people. And and this ecosystem, you know, just add a little bit more about this. We, we're probably one of the first storage companies in the world to have built a telemetry system like this. We've actually been gathering telemetry for the last, I would say about 20 years. And we're probably one of the first companies that automated disk replacement. So today uh, we can very intelligently predict when a disk is going to fail. And, and then that sends a message, a telemetry message back into ActiveIQ's platform where we have some automation so we can act on that message route that to manufacturing procure a new disk ship it back to the customer with instructions about where to replace the disk it's all 100% automated and and so that really was the genesis of active iq it's gotten a lot more sophisticated than that um, for for people that have used NetApp for a while the old name of active iq used to be auto support my auto support so yeah. as, far,
0: as far as Active IQ goes, I mean, what is it sitting on top of? Like, what's their architecture like, and how has it changed over the years?
1: Right. So, twenty years ago, when Active IQ started, all it was was a simple Oracle database, and you know that was fine for a long time. But of course, as we started selling more storage, and you know our portfolio has become much larger than OnTap, which is our primary storage system, um, we knew that wasn't going to scale. So more than eight years ago, uh, that that database was replaced with Hadoop, and uh, initially it was all about batch processing, which Hadoop was very well suited for. But today we want to act on information the moment it arrives. So that's that's one thing that has changed. The second thing is we're doing a lot more with AI. Right. So that that raw data needs to be mined very quickly, and we need to derive really deep insights that help our customers get the best experience possible. To give you an example, one of the most popular things in ActiveIQ is what we call your your health risks or uh, your wellness. And uh, we use a bunch of techniques to determine if, for example, your systems are misconfigured or more recently, some of the things we can do is uh, learn through community wisdom what are the best practices to configure your system for particular applications. So you can you can get the best possible outcome, right? So these things we can learn from the data, and then show it uh, to the customer. So we switched from this Oracle database to Hadoop on-premises batch processing, and then about three years ago we switched from the sort of more traditional uh, programming models like MapReduce to Spark, and started moving more towards event processing. And most recently, with the help of Iguazio, we've moved to a model where it's all uh, essentially serverless functions. Okay. And so there are three fundamental constructs that we have in the new architecture for ActiveIQ. The first thing is we have what we call a unified data lake, a single source of data for event processing and batch processing. And so that's replaced all our various Hadoop clusters. Um, So we have a single a storage pool that's based on NetApp's ONTAP technology. It's actually an all-flash NFS storage system. And at 1st blush, that may seem like an odd choice, right? Because on the one hand, it's, it's over the network, so you have separated compute from storage. And then on the other hand, it's it's flash, it's, it's not regular disk-based. But what we found is that uh, a lot of the telemetry we get is, is really small packets. Um, Our storage systems, especially our flash-based storage systems, can do tremendous optimizations, you know, uh, compression, compaction, uh, deduplication. So we actually get a 16x reduction in the storage space when we store on our systems automatically. Uh, We don't have to make the three copies of the data, either for performance or safety, okay? The networks within the data center have become very fast. So while now we have disaggregated compute and storage, uh, we actually get a lot of. Uh, it doesn't significantly hurt your performance. Plus, you're able to scale your compute and storage independently, which is which is a very big deal. Because what we noticed on our Hadoop cluster was, we were achieving an average utilization CPU utilization of about 35%. Right, we were scaling storage faster than the compute. Uh, but because compute and storage are tied together at the hip in traditional Hadoop, uh, we had to keep adding servers. Uh, for, you know, no particular good reason. And we, we have tested this with lots of customers. We we see on average, most people's Hadoop installs don't have very high CPU utilization.
0: You mentioned you're using NFS and you're doing this over the network. Are there any specific optimizations you had to take with the with the clients? I mean, were there mount options that you used? Were you using large IO size? I mean, how are you mounting these these data lakes to optimize your specific application? And what was the consideration with that?
1: Yeah, so so we use uh, you, you know a 64k block size to mount our NFS clients uh, to the backend storage, but but besides that, we don't really do anything. Um, like I said, most of our telemetry packets they're not that large, um, and 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 so it's actually it, it all works out uh, pretty well. The the there are two aspects of NetApp storage that we do use that have helped quite a bit. So we use two particular uh, NetApp technologies that have that have really helped us. The first thing is our data engineers and data scientists, they are not interested in mounting NFS or, you know, they want the storage to be abstracted away. So we have a giant pool of storage, uh, which is hidden through a, cons- a construct called Flex Groups. And what that is, is essentially, you can think of it as a virtual container. And underneath, it's got lots of volumes. Those volumes are managed by our, our IT teams. But our data engineers and data scientists just see a single large namespace where they can store billions of files and it's load balanced across our storage cluster. So we actually got a 30% performance improvement by using uh, this Flex Group construct, right? Besides simplifying it for our data engineers and data scientists. Uh, the, the second thing that's very handy is the uh, technology called Flex Clone, which is when we're trying to do things like QA or POCs, rather than make a physical copy of the data, we can essentially clone a volume instantaneously, and it becomes a safe copy that we can point at a QA cluster or a uh, POC cluster. And so that's also been very helpful for us, right? And there's some other benefits which I'll talk about uh, when, when I describe how we got to the hybrid cloud.
0: So you mentioned the efficiencies that you're getting. Are you using all the storage efficiencies or do you have specific ones turned on or off?
1: No. So this is uh, a modern all-flash array. Everything is turned on by default. Uh, we don't even think about it. It all just happens.
0: Okay. And what about fabric pools? Are you leveraging those at all?
1: We don't use fabric pools. We have been looking at that. So, so we do archive old data onto storage grid, which is our low-cost object store. Now, the way we do it today is we actually physically copy from uh, the NFS volume to the object store. So anything that's older than about two years goes to our object store. Uh, but we are looking at uh, using fabric pool so that that becomes automatic. Yeah.
0: Okay. So uh, tell us a little more about the architecture. I know you were, you were starting to get into the, the hybrid cloud piece.
1: Right. So the first construct, the first principle is to build a unified data lake. We do it on top of NFS. Uh, and we've had this running for the last three years, right? So we've replaced our HDFS on direct attached storage with NFS, it's worked out fantastic for us. We've had absolutely no problem. Um, and, and we can write, run our Spark code against that because you know Spark is storage agnostic, so it all just works out. The the second principle we have is to use the cloud in an intelligent cost-effective way. Uh, we, do, we have not put 100% of everything in the cloud, we essentially use the cloud for uh, bursty workloads. okay? Things like uh, QA, uh, certain machine learning, model building, um, things like POCs. But our production pipelines run on-premise. We found that this balance actually gives us the lowest possible cost. And we figured out that at least at our size, if we went 100% into any cloud, it was going to be roughly anywhere from 3X to 7X more expensive. So, so this is the model that worked out in a cost-effective way. The, the third principle is we, we replaced essentially all our data pipelines uh, as we reconstructed them as composable serverless functions. Um, so let's say we're trying to predict when your system is going to run out of space. The pipeline that makes that calculation is essentially a very compact set of serverless com- uh, functions. And, and this is where Iguazio's technology has helped enormously. So we knew we wanted to get to, you know, this world of serverless or functions as a service. And so we were thinking about what to do. One option, of course, was to go 100% to some cloud, uh, like, for example, Amazon and just use Lambda there. Uh, But like I said, uh, the cost considerations of everything else that goes beyond it uh, prevented us from doing that. We also wanted a solution that was cloud-like but cloud-neutral. And and so we came across the Iguazio technology to build a fantastic open source, serverless solution, it's called Nucleo. The other cool thing about what they've done is it it layers on top of Kubernetes and using NetApp's Trident technology, we can just hook that up to NFS storage. So now we have a way of composing these data pipelines programmatically in any location that we like, because underneath it's all just Kubernetes and NFS. So I can deploy that in the cloud, I can deploy that on-premise, and our programmers don't even need to know where these pipelines are running. They've essentially abstracted all that away. Okay, so to summarize this, sort of three guiding principles for our new architecture. One is build a unified data lake uh, that's built on top of our all-flash NFS. The second thing is to use the cloud uh, in a way that's cost effective. And the third thing is to essentially compose our data pipelines through these serverless functions for which we have standardized on Iguazio's technology.
0: So as far as Iguazio goes, I mean, what was the decision-making process you used to choose Iguazio? And what were some of the reasons why you decided it was the right choice?
1: Yeah. So I think there's four reasons. The first is, like I said, we were looking for a serverless solution that could operate in any cloud. And that also had the support of a company uh, that was very important for us. There are open source cloud neutral serverless solutions out there, uh, but it like truly open source, right? There's, there's no company really doing enterprise support. Uh, and, and so this gave us that option. The second thing is I think Iguazi has done some very clever things to avoid uh, what's famously known as the cold start problem. Um, So their their serverless functions are are very high performance. There's even been some research papers written about this. The the third thing we liked is the integration that we could do with NFS storage. So serverless functions by their nature are stateless and they lend themselves well to things like object storage because when you use NFS, you have a mount point and that's state. Uh, But but the way the whole thing is set up, the the Iguazio software is set up we could actually connect their serverless functions easily to to NFS. So that's another reason. And the fourth very significant thing is while we use them today essentially for data engineering, over time we will also be using them to build our data science pipelines. Um, So they have native integration with uh, Kubeflow. We will essentially be doing all our machine learning also on the same piece of software connected to the same unified data lake. And so we think that will give us a lot of uh, efficiencies. So we actually did an experiment. So last year, what we did is uh, while we were starting this POC with Iguazio, we we simultaneously took one of our pipelines. We have about 25 data pipelines. We took one and we put it 100% into a particular cloud. And we actually really liked it. Uh, the, the serverless part of the cloud was very cost effective. It was brilliant. What happened is the backend databases, the key value stores and this and that, Costs are just spiraled out of control. In in no time, uh, we got to an extremely expensive place, and, and we realized it isn't sustainable. The one thing that I forgot to mention is the other reason we pick Iguagio is they've got a brilliant, what they called a multi-model data store, and I'll let Yaron explain it more. Uh, it's a very high-performance uh, sort of key-value store and a time-series database. It's where we store our cooked performance counters and also other things. And so we can achieve extremely low latencies for our APIs uh, using that technology. And we modeled the cost of of running that uh, Iguazio data store on our storage. And it was, you know, in one case, it was 25x cheaper than doing it in the cloud. So the cost difference was very significant.
0: So your own... Shankar mentioned about the cost, and you you've touted Iguazio as being a lower cost solution. So, what do you, what is Iguazio doing to make that cost be less for for going to, to your solution versus something else?
2: So, um, if you if you look at the Iguazio DNA, you know, and some of our background, it's really uh, high performance computing, also a lot of knowledge in in the areas of uh, real time and storage, etc. And uh, all the things that we've uh, built on, as Shankar mentioned, the uh, serverless function, as well as the, the key value and time series engines are really uh, built to maximize the, the performance. So what it ends up is when you use um, Amazon, people usually look at capacity costs, but the biggest item on, on cost is really you know, IOPS or TPS or things that relates to, to throughput and, and implications. And this is where, uh, with our technology, we could do sometimes 10 or 20 uh, times more uh, work on the same computation resources. So, uh, you know, for example, if you take uh, lambda functions, we did this calculation uh, once with um, with Chenkar. So, if you take a bunch of lambda functions running like 5,000 events per second uh, for uh, across a month, it will cost you about $50,000. Uh, with something like Nucleo, it does like 60,000 events per second on a VM that may cost you 700 bucks, okay? So there's a huge difference in uh, exploiting the computation resources or or take the time series or key value engines that we have. We actually emulate the DynamoDB API from, uh, from Amazon, but in about 20 times higher performance. Okay, so that uh, part of it is just because the implementation underneath is way more efficient Essentially, drives much lower amount of computation, and that that thing drives much lower cost overall.
0: So, as far as Iguazio goes for Active IQ, I mean, when you were working with Shankar, what sort of things did you see advantageous for Iguazio for that type of workload?
2: Um, so, so firstly, it is an extremely challenging uh, workload. I keep on telling it to Shankar all the time. It's <laughs> it's not a trivial priv- problem to solve because. If you think about it, there are about 300,000 devices and each device emits about a thousand sensors, you know, has about a thousand sensors. We're talking about 300 million uh, matrix that are being managed, okay? And before it was uh, running on a uh, on few dozen uh, servers and right now it's running on few VMs in, in Amazon, still managing think about 300 million sensors and those those ones are stored across like three months. So it's quite a hefty uh, workload. And in the same data, on one end, you ingest data from all this uh, matrix. On the other end, you have dashboards, and then you want to do other things like analytics or uh, potentially machine learning. And in parallel, you want to back up the data into NFS because the way that we work, which is uh, it's pretty nice, is that the ingestion is going into the Guazu Time Series database, which is again, extremely fast. And this is, think of it as sort of a, a nice cache because you, you wanna run queries, you wanna build aggregations, you wanna show dashboards, so you're not gonna work against a, a file system. You need some sort of a database. And uh, so all the data ingest into the um, time series database and can be visualized using the dashboard, but we have to also be able to persist the data for a long uh, while. So what we're doing is we also, uh, you know every day or every uh, few days, we're essentially converting it into compressed files that are stored on NFS. So then you get all your historical data and also sort of a backup uh, for the entire uh, system. So that's uh, in general, again, the challenge is really around uh, enormous uh, scale with a very small amount of, of computation overall. When Shankar and, and his team looked at uh, the different solutions, again, there are a few factors. One is cost and we, we covered it, uh, our solution. Uh, was much cheaper than doing it on-prem on traditional Hadoop, as well as uh, more um, you know, uh, efficient than using the native cloud solutions. But there are also other factors. One factor is that if you want to go hybrid, then you know you cannot just go and use the cloud-specific solutions, or sometimes you even want to keep the flexibility of moving from Amazon to Azure tomorrow to Google. Uh, et cetera. and we actually looking into some some of those things, um, then you want sort of a neutral software stack, which is based on an open source project that can essentially run anywhere uh, on-prem or in the cloud or in any cloud that, that you choose. And that essentially provided a lot of flexibility because once we figure out that the network transfer costs for some uh, cases were higher, then we we had the flexibility of essentially splitting the solution and putting some solution on-prem using uh, and, uh, NetApp uh, filers and, and servers, and some some of the solution in the cloud using uh, sort of VMs and and virtual filers and and all of that. So that's uh, uh, that was an extremely powerful part of the solution. I think another another point that um, was you know we we talked about in the past is uh, you know going things like towards things like serverless and all that what it gains you is not only the cost benefits, it's also the agility. Because think about uh, today when you develop code, there's a lot of uh, maintenance for that code. You need to build containers, you need to uh, create logging and monitoring and telemetry for your own uh, functionality. You need to think about scaling out your work. So part of this move that Shankar and his team that they're sort of pioneering this approach, not everyone has the, you know, the uh, and the, uh, I call it, um, have the guts to go and, and change the architecture drastically, but they serve, were pioneering this approach of moving to serverless and they gain a lot by doing that, but essentially uh, removing a lot of the, the friction that usually companies have when they build those monolithic architecture, those IT savvy architectures where every time you need to do a change, you need to call someone in IT. Um, and, and also part of the side effect is because the serverless engines, they encompass a lot of functionality. They manage the Kafka triggers and the HTTP and all of that. The amount of code shrinks quite a bit. Uh, I think, Shankar, what was the factor that you've seen
1: in terms of less Yeah, code? that's a good point, uh, Yaron. Yeah, I should have mentioned that. So for one of the data pipelines that we moved from our traditional architecture to Iguazio, we saw a 10x reduction in the lines of code. Uh, The response times for our APIs went from a few seconds in some cases to under about 200 milliseconds. Uh, And then we also found that we're using 3x fewer CPU cores. So hugely more efficient in terms of how many CPUs we're using.
2: Yeah, but I'm saying I'm saying even the portion of you know people that write code, it's it's also an enormous amount of code and, and sort of cost and maintenance and it's ongoing. And I think uh, beyond just the, the pure infrastructure cost, this ability to reduce the amount of code that you need to maintain and write, it's a huge advantage for many people.
1: That's right. That's right. And it also helps simplify the the process of writing new code because now you're thinking about you know, a sequence of small functions that can be composed on top of each other. So it just makes the whole uh, thought processes around writing that code a lot more elegant and easy to understand.
2: Yes, and you could even think about the aspects of uh, reuse. You know, part of the efforts that we're doing in Iguazio recently is essentially we have a, a team of data scientists that what they do, they start trying to build uh, functions that are reusable so customers can just go and use them. And we invest a lot of energy in those functions. For example, we make sure we have the latest Intel compiler built into the container and all the latest libraries. And, and we're optimizing the threading inside. And we use the all, you know, we build logs and, and monitorings and generate plots and all that. So when someone just says, you know what, I want to do some training logic, it doesn't need to do much. It just throws some data set at you and he gets the uh, training model and all the plots and all that. So. And also your organization can do it for themselves. They can essentially create some sort of a marketplace because functions are now sort of self-defined. You know, they have some API, they're small, they can be made reusable through some parameters and you can just deploy, you know, you want to output some uh, message into Slack, it creates sort of a a Slack messenger function and you feed it with some data and it throws a a message into Slack. You know, think of it this way.
0: So Shankar, your own mentioned friction and you know reluctance to go to new models like serverless what sort of friction did you experience and and how did you overcome that or did you experience any at all when you were choosing this solution
1: yeah so so when i first brought up the quasio solution within my team there was definitely resistance because we knew we'd have to rewrite code and people wondered whether that was going to be effective you know the second thing is we had already done the math and figured out going 100% to the cloud was going to be too expensive. But we didn't want to run Iguazio initially on-premises because we didn't even have the equipment to do that. So here's where our cloud storage really helped. So we were able to very quickly set up an Iguazio cluster in Amazon. And then at the same time, we were able to, you know, within five minutes, set up a cloud volumes service. Which is, which is the NetApp NFS service that's available in all the clouds. Um, so we were able to do this really fast. So literally a day later, the team could start taking a data pipeline and rewriting it to Iguazio. And in two weeks, we completed a POC. The team had confidence, and there was no looking back after that. So I think what helped our team get over that hump was that really rapid POC. And that was helped because we could deploy Iguazio on Kubernetes in a cloud and very quickly attached to NetApp's cloud volume service for the storage. And and so that's going to be our strategy going forward. All our QA, all our development and POCs happens in the cloud. But then we have simple ways of copying all that data back on-premises, which is where our production Iguazio pipelines will run.
0: And that's an interesting strategy, I think, that could apply to not just this company, but a lot of other companies that are interested in doing POCs for things. They don't want to buy new equipment or get swing gear. They can just leverage the cloud for that.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, so I think this solution gives people, especially large enterprise companies, the best of both worlds. I mean, I I talk to customers literally every day, and um, people are really frustrated with managing these huge Hadoop clusters on premises, dealing with all of that, right? They love the simplicity of the cloud, the agility of the cloud, but then over time they find they can't pay the cost for being 100% in the cloud uh, at a certain size, right? When you have petabytes and petabytes of data. Uh, and and with Iguazio and, and App Storage, you get the best of both worlds. You get the simplicity and agility of the cloud, but you're not always paying that price you can essentially run those same pipelines on-premises. Yeah, just to summarize, you know, we've been through a journey in our team. Uh, I'd say roughly every two, two and a half years, we we rewrite our, our data pipelines are constantly trying to adopt a new technology. So we've been through this journey, you know, to first traditional Hadoop and then moving to Spark on NSS and and now to this serverless, uh, our serverless data pipelines that run on top of, NFS, but with a hybrid cloud strategy, so you can you can run them in any cloud that you choose, or you can run them on premise. And uh, we're pretty happy with the direction we're headed. Uh, you know, we're we really like Iguazio's technology. Uh, it's working out well for us.
2: Also, when you're when you're looking at some of the solutions out there, you know, for example, serverless solutions, etc. They're like only a serverless engine. You're still you require a lot of things around it, you know, the monitoring, the telemetry, the logging, you know, not many people know or many people may know that most of the cost in uh, Lambda function is actually not Lambda functions. it's the API gateway that sits in front of Lambda function. So uh, one of the advantages in, in our technology is not just the serverless functions is essentially a complete platform that you have on one end, sort of the serverless functions. Uh, but those functions are also can attach to external storage like NetApp and others. There, there's also this sort of high-speed tier zero layer with key value and, and time series and things like that. And you could also have a bunch of managed services running on the same platform. So those managed services could be Grafana dashboards, could be Spark, because for some uh, customers they are in a transition period from uh, you know Spark and Hadoop and You know, Hive and all of that into a new architecture. Um, We don't want to tell them, you know, just go away, move everything to serverless. We want to do this uh, transition in sort of a gradual way. So they can move to Iguazio, run their code with Spark. They could even attach to an external Hadoop HDFS cluster because, you know, they're not just going to shut down all the disks. and gradually move their uh, data and files into uh, NetApp where it's way more efficient because of you know uh, the duplication and the rate and and, and all of that. So uh, essentially the wise-associated is not just the, the serverless function or just data, it's an integrated approach, which you know, eventually much of the energy that people uh, spend is not about each individual component, it's stitching all those individual components into more holistic solution and part of what we've done for for the customers and now together with netapp we're taking it to, to netapp customers to other netapp customers is essentially also dealing with the glue so that means that if you don't have to deal with the glue your time to market is also going to shrink significantly
0: all right yaron shankar thanks so much for joining us today and giving us the lowdown on how to get from hadoop to aguazio and netapp so yaron if we wanted to contact you how do we do that
2: So uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you, you can link contact me in LinkedIn. Just search my name, uh, also in Twitter, and I, I blog uh, quite a bit. You can search me out in
1: Medium.
0: All right, and we, we'll, we won't even mention sure, Shane Carson's. He doesn't have any content for. Me. He's not cool like us.
1: Well, I guess I can add that I do have a LinkedIn page, so people
0: can look me up on LinkedIn. Okay, we'll add that to the to the blog. All right, uh, appreciate it, guys. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Shankar, Pasupathy and Yaron Habib for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening.